Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune. Thank you for waving. We're at TCL Performance Center in Egan, where the Vikings just put a bow on the 2023 season. We heard from Kevin O'Connell. We heard from General Manager Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. And Ben, we were talking before this about what the biggest takeaway was, and uh, it, it, we can't run from it. Just like Quasey said, he can't run from it. Um, he was asked, you know, how big is this off season for the future of the franchise? Is it going to set this franchise up for the next five to 10 years? And he said, well, that really depends on what positions you're addressing, but yeah, I can't run from it. Cause he, the subtext of that is they're going to be addressing the most important yes. one at quarterback. Yes. The quarterback position one way or the other, and maybe in ways that are not mutually exclusive is going to get addressed. They are either, and it may get, a, when I say not mutually exclusive, I mean it could get addressed twice. It could be that they sign Kirk Cousins in March and then they draft a quarterback in April. And I don't think there's anything about their plan that they look at it and say, no, we're, it's going to be one or the other. I don't think there's any doubt that if they had their druthers, they would do both because then they give that player, that rookie, some time to get ready and and you still have Kirk here um you know Quasey talked about Kirk has has been good for us um for the way that they want to play this offense and so there's there's a lot of interest I think in bringing him back um the question is going to be the price obviously but if if what he said the other day about the money not being the biggest thing in the world it's more about the the guarantees and if they were to say, we will guarantee you two years, now I, that's a hard one too because if you have a quarterback that you think is ready by 2025, do you guarantee both years? We'll see. But um, they could address it twice. And then the other thing that that does is if they did play out that plan, it takes money, sort of. I mean, they could probably massage the cap number that it's not that much higher than the dead money would be. But you're probably going to have money into 2025 there as well, and you're using your first-round pick on a quarterback, which means it's not being used to address the many, many other needs that are on this roster. So uh, depending on the positions you're addressing and the subtext there is the position they're going to be addressing is quarterback, yes, this is uh, a monumental offseason for them. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion, the hope, the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Kwesi reiterated that he was asked, do you want Kirk back? And he said, I think I've been pretty consistent about that. Yes, I do. We know Kevin O'Connell's feelings about that. So it is going to be that financial piece. And we haven't done a podcast or or talked to our listeners since Kirk also talked to us. Yes. So what was your biggest takeaway from Kirk? You mentioned the, the him bringing up, you know, it's not so much the overall money, it's the structure of it. You took, What the dollars represent. Well, then he also said that. So it, it, that kind of, it's like, it felt like he was talking out of both sides of his mouth of like, because the dollars represent, you know, that means you're not going to take necessarily less than 
um, you feel like you might because it is respect. It is about your place in the franchise and how they respect you. So I guess how did you parse those words as somebody who uh, obviously has talked to Kirk both just one-on-one and then um, in in that podium session? Yeah, I mean, I think this comes down to a level and I, I this is where I do think the structure is important I, I don't think he's signing if you said we're going to guarantee all of it I don't think he's going to do hey I have 15 million a year I'm let's do it tell me where to sign I, I don't think it's going to be that I think there would be and I'm conjecturing a little bit here but if they were to say this is a guaranteed deal for the next couple of years and it's not top of market but it is enough that you're going to be here and that we are saying we want you to be our starting quarterback through 2025, basically giving him the the, the years that he wanted last year because that's one. And we've both said it, we both heard it. Um, they wanted his camp wanted to be guaranteed through 2025 last year. The Vikings were not willing to do that. They only wanted to do two years out. So if they're now saying, "Hey, we're willing to do two years out," and guess what? Uh, now that gets you to 2025. Does that get it done, or does he say, well, no, I still want the three years, so I want to go to 2026? That could be the question there, too. I would expect that if they said, this structure communicates to you that we expect you're going to be in our plans for the next couple of years, I would think he would do it. Because he talked about you know, everything from I'm getting to a point where I've made more money than I'm basically going to be able to spend – and my kids like their schools. I mean, you know, this, we hear a lot of players get to this point where the thought process on these things changes as you get older and you have a family and you don't want to be moving around as much. And all of those things, I think, will play into it. Yeah, and to clarify, too, with the, the negotiations last year, um, at least what I'd heard was that they didn't even want to broach any guarantees in 2025 not even just the full year. Yeah. Like it was, and this wasn't something I was able to necessarily confirm. So take it with a grain of salt, but like it, it seemed like they weren't willing to even discuss any guarantees yeah. three years out. Yeah. Now that is two years out just right, right now. So the question so there is, change? is, was the hang up that it's, it was three years out or was the hang up that it's his age 37 season? Because one of those things does not move. Uh, if it's, we don't want to guarantee anything in your age 37 season, that I think would be tricky because I I don't think he's going to sign a deal where if you said, Hey, it's two years and then basically we're going to guarantee this year. And then after that, we'll see. And we're going to draft a quarterback. I I don't think he's signing that deal. Um, But would they then say we'll guarantee 2025 because it's only two years out. Um, You know, Quasi has talked in the past. He didn't say it specifically today about this idea of you plan two years out and, you know, probably not as far as three, which that may have been the point where he said last year, nope, this is the line. And, you know, uh, across this line, you, you do not, you do not cross to quote Walter from the big Lebowski. I'm messing that up a little bit, but cause at that point you would not know how he was going to play this year. And yep. now you have the data point of like, he played pretty well. Yeah, he did. Um, so. and you're assuming then, okay, if we're only tying him, tying ourselves to him for the next two years, the risk is not so great that the, the fall off is going to happen. And then, Oh, we're stuck yeah. for two more years with a declining quarterback. Um, it, it would be interesting to watch though, just of, you know, from, the standpoint of if they sign him and he's got this guaranteed deal, but then you take, say it's Michael Penix or, or Jaden Daniels, and that guy is sitting behind him. Kirk has not had that before, where 
there's a guy immediately behind you that the second you have a bad game, fans are going to be calling for that guy to play. Um, that is a different dynamic, and I am very curious to see how that would go. I mean, it's it's easy, I think, at this point to say, oh, I understand it, because I asked him that question this week of knowing that they may try to look at their succession plan for you, would that impact your willingness to sign here? And he said, you're not doing your job as a leader of an organization if you're not thinking about the succession plan. And he basically said, it won't matter because I'll have to sign before they draft somebody. Okay, but will that affect your negotiations? And you know, with the structure you want. Yeah, and if I'm just uh, speculating and reading into these things as we do on podcasts, um, then for him to follow up and talk about structure would mean that whatever dollar amount we're talking about, it just needs to be locked in that I'm going to be here. Yes. But it, it can't be a... And cause it, and no trade clauses are going to come back up here. So that's another part of the structure too. I'm sure he would want a no trade clause again. I'm sure he would want at least the two years we're talking about fully guaranteed to know then that regardless of how I play or how I come off this injury or how much the the calling for the rookie gets that I'm going to be here in 2025, you know, as a, an insurance policy yep. at the very least. Yeah. And then if I'm not, I have a no trade so I can have some say in where I go. Yeah. I mean, I would think I, I would be stunned if they didn't ask for that and they haven't gotten it in every deal they've done. But they've had it in at least a couple of them. Had it in the first one, had it last year. I think those are the only two that have had it. But um, the fact that they put it back in there last yeah. year was significant. Yeah, and that was um, that was when they did the one-year deal, right? Yeah, uh, so I guess they put it back in there in 22, Yep. Um, the extending through 23. Yep. Um, so it's going to be a fascinating offseason and one where it's not just the quarterback they have to – Address Kwesi was also asked quite a bit about the competitive rebuild, being yep. able to maintain that competitive rebuild while um, you know repairing uh, all the parts, basically on the fly while rebuilding. Basically, yeah. build the plane as you fly it. Um, so I, I found it interesting that he talked about how they still have to live in both of those worlds and feel like they do. There are people I saw as one of the guys on Over the Cap was uh, assessing all of the league situations, and he said the Vikings are kind of in no man's land in terms of the talent that you do and don't have and the commitments that you kind of have on the books. Yeah. Um, how do you assess the non quarterback work that they've got to do here where they are going to have to make some moves financially to clear some more room? Um, they're not like the bears who have just oodles of cap yeah. space. Um, it's going to have to be more of those Rob Przinsky kind of tricks uh, to clear the decks. Well, and he got asked about that pretty early saying, do you feel like you have, done enough there and he said yeah I think we have enough financial flexibility I thought that was interesting because I wouldn't look at their situation and say oh yeah they're great in terms of financial flexibility they still have a lot of I mean between Kirk Cousins and Daniel Hunter the number one quarterback and I think the number one edge rusher on the free agent market in a couple of months they have 40 something million dollars of dead money set to hit the cap unless they were to resign one or both of those players, in which case those numbers move. But the fact that those players are where they are in the market is going to impact what it costs to bring them back. So I don't still don't think it's great. I mean, there's moves you can make. I mean, Harrison Smith is not going to be back at that number at 19.2, I think it is. 
Um, there's another one in there that I would wonder if they would do. Why am I not able to remember what it is? Um, I mean, Garrett Bradbury, I guess you could think about. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's Harrison Smith that's the only one I'm thinking of. Yeah, Brian O'Neill's got a really high one, but they are it's because they yeah. already did that with the, that the – Yeah, so they'll carry over some cap space this year from the um, restructure they did with him, but they had already um, pushed money down the road with his deal. Um, I When you mentioned Daniel Hunter being the top edge rusher, it made me want to look up who the other top edge rushers are. Um, in this offseason, yeah, Demarcus Lawrence, Jadavian Clowney, um, Brandon Graham. So Daniel's name is is pretty much one of the top ones yeah. for his age and what people are going to be paying. Yeah, he's a guy that you know. I think compared to those other names, you would go in with fewer reservations. Now, he's beyond the injuries. He's had two seasons where he's been durable, um, you know, played, I think, you know, north of 900, probably close to 1,000 snaps this year so you know he he proved a lot of those questions or answered a lot of those questions I think so yeah I mean he's gonna get paid um he'll be 30 in October that seems like it's taken forever for him to turn 30 but I asked Quasi about that just thinking are you going to sign players to big deals into the 30s his response was you've walked by him you know you <laughs> he's not um he's not in bad shape like no he's not um the question is not so much strength as speed. I think is is always the is the first step going to be there at age thirty three, thirty four. Very well could be. I mean, in terms of the athletic specimen that he is and what he does to keep himself in shape, but that is going to be some of the question they have to answer. And what the, do you pay for? Yeah, the big one to me is that they already lost Dalvin Tomlinson financially. Yep. Right. Yep. So this is the one where when we talk about the cap constraints and people say the salary cap's not real and blah, blah, blah. Well, no, it's just it's a soft cap. Yeah. As, as much as we think about it as a hard cap, it's not soft in terms of the NBA where you can go over it and just pay a tax, but it is soft in terms of there's so many ways to bend it. You can it's, spend more. You can spend cash over it. That's it, the, the easiest way to do it, and the Wills typically yeah. have been willing to do that. Yeah, and so that – but it does come to fruition. It does come to a head when you don't have the cash to spend yeah. over it because you're spending it on Kirk. You're spending it on JJ. You're spending all this money you got to put into escrow for all the guaranteed money that you were fronting yep. for Christian Derrissaw and all these other people. Um, I don't see how they can afford Daniil. Yeah, in terms of the is sheer Is where cash. I'm going with that. Yeah. yeah. Is it is that you have so many commitments that I just think that because you're not the Bears, because you're not a team that has the decks truly cleared of those commitments um, – I don't know how they're going to be able to afford him when, frankly, he's probably going to get more than $25 million that Montez Sweat just got from Chicago. And those names I mentioned, Demarcus Lawrence, Jadavion Clowney, those are not guys that you say – they're not Bradley Chubb. They're not 26-year-olds coming off rookie deals that you go, oh, that guy's going to get a boatload. Whatever the desperate edge-rushing team is, how is Daniil not the guy, the number yeah, one guy? Yeah, and he's a guy that has shown – well, heck, he's he's had 14-plus sack seasons as an end in a 4-3 and as a stand-up edge rusher in a 3-4. So he can play whatever scheme you need him to play. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So, yes, I would think he's number one on everybody's board, and that makes it difficult. The Wilfs have been willing to spend cash over cap, and why that's important is it allows you to do signing bonuses that you can push that money into the future. You can sign a guy to a big ticket deal that the player gets a lot of cash and you don't have to count it all against the cap. But like you said, it requires 
teams to put money into escrow to pay those bonuses. They don't. If a guy signs a thirty million dollar signing bonus, the team is not writing a thirty million dollar check. It's typically paid in a couple of installments, but it also means that you're putting cash into escrow that you can invest on your own and be earning money with. So that's why Mark Davis at the Raiders, like being a cash poor owner, actually matters. Yes, it does. Yeah. And and the Wilfs are not the richest owners in the NFL. I mean, there's certainly plenty rich to do these yeah. things and not worry about it. I mean, these are yeah. these are champ- <laughs> champagne problems, as, as Quasi quoted, um, an entertainer that yeah. graced us at U.S. Bank Stadium last summer. Um, not this fall, though. Not this fall. She skipped the game, and then Travis Kelsey got hurt. Yep. That's why. Um, that's why. That's probably it. She went to Lambo, though. <laughs> um, but, yes, I, the Wilfs... I would think would have the cash to do all of it, but that's also a lot to ask. If if you're saying, "Hey, we're giving Kirk a twenty-five million dollars signing bonus and Daniil a thirty million dollars signing bonus and Christian Derisaw a whatever," I mean, between Cousins, Hunter, Derisaw, Jefferson, it is entirely possible that they could be asked for nine figures of signing bonuses this offseason. Or, you know, whether between paying it or putting it in escrow for a com- to come out in the future. There could, I mean, you could come to them and say, if we want all of these guys, it's going to be $100 million worth of signing bonuses. I, I don't think that's unrealistic whatsoever to push the number that high. And, you know, it's everybody's got a limit in terms of what they're willing to spend. And, and that's going to be, they typically have been pretty willing to spend what it takes to win. And if, if everybody in that front office talks about, if you make them a presentation that says, Hey, we think we need this to compete. They have been pretty willing to say, okay, we will do it. Um, that's a lot though. I mean, you know, not, none of us have been in that spot or probably ever will be in that spot to say yes or no to that. But, you know, it's still that's a lot of money. Uh, Quasi was for for everybody who wants us reporters to uh, hold the football people to task. He was asked multiple times about the 2022 draft class, how poor his first draft has yeah. been. Um, what did you make of what he had to say? I found it interesting that you know coaches always say this, and he said it that you know the the development is not always linear yep. with these guys. That you do have to be patient, but. Every time he would say something positive about a Lewis scene or Andrew Booth, he would say, but we all, you know, we believe in these guys. We want to stick by them. We believe in how they approach things. But this is a, re- he kept saying, this is a results driven business, a results driven business. At some point it's going to come where they stop banking on these guys. And I wouldn't be shocked if that time is already here. Yeah. Like that. These guys are not on the roster or if they are, 2024. it's 24. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting cut after camp. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there's a very good possibility that, that happens with one of these guys next year. I, I Lewis seen, I think is less likely to have that happen. Maybe just cause first round picks get a little more rope. Um, if Brian Flores is still the defensive coordinator though, I don't expect that. I mean, just based on what we've seen, I don't think Lewis seen is going to be in their plans in any substantive way. I, I, I think Flores likes him fine. But I, I think they sort of – I'm not sure that he is 
centrally in their plans. I'm not sure way. Flores likes him fine. I don't know where do you where do you cut where do you get that from? Well, <laughs> I, I think I think they get. It sounds along like a nice fine. way to put it. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. yeah it's, I'm, I'm being <laughs> diplomatic, but um, I just it, it doesn't seem like as a player that that was a good fit, and he's not yeah. the coordinator who drafted him. No, I I think if he had been here in 22, I. Which was discussed. I mean, he was on Kevin yeah. O'Connell's list. Flores. Here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kevin O'Connell told me that this summer. that yep. He was on his list of possibilities, and I think the way he put it is there may have been some things that may or may not have contributed to my ability to bring him in in 2022. You can, um, you can, do, you can fill in the gaps yourself there. I don't think it's that hard to do that. Um, the records are public. You can yeah, look them up. Correct. Um, that's what I'm getting at. But and I don't know that. That's what that means. That's just me putting two and two together. But if he's here, yeah. I wonder if they're making that pick or not. I would doubt it. Just by the, what we've seen, yeah. um, I would doubt it. And it, it just him um, Booth. You mentioned Asamoa Evans. Yeah. Evans started 15 games, but he was benched twice. Both Lions games, he got benched yep. in. And, and those had some. And the Bengals game. I mean, that the play at the end of the Bengals game, and you talked to him about it on Sunday. It's yeah. like that was a big moment that cost them that game. Yeah, and we talked about it Sunday and how Caleb has been very introspective and open about what he needs to do and grow. But as a front off, you're Quasi sitting there. You can't bank on that. You can't say, you know what, fine. You're going to be the starter again. And we expect you to be that much better. It's your job as a front office to give the coaching staff even better talent and more that fits and more that can be immediately impactful. Um, and hope that a Caleb is just a solid depth piece and yeah. somebody that grows like a Josh Metellus into eventually a player. But right now, I don't. I think he was overexposed this year yeah. because they just didn't have the talent uh, and other options to put out there. In part because of Booth, who didn't step up, Jawan Williams, who really was just a journeyman that that couldn't earn the job. I mean, we were looking at the start of camp last year. He was QB or CB two. <laughs> was Byron Murphy and Jawan Williams, yeah. and then all of a sudden, within the first day of pads, it's Makai Blackman and Flores is saying, "Well, don't read too much into it." And well, no, behind the scenes, yeah. they were searching for answers. Yeah. So they were kind of seemingly grasping at straws at that cornerback spot, and I don't think they ever found answers this year. No, I mean they need Makai Blackman to be continuing to improve in a year two. Makai Blackman is not six two. That's going to be a question, I think, going forward. They need Byron Murphy to be healthy. They really need Byron Murphy to be healthy, especially if the base defense next year is not three safeties. I don't I don't know if they would see Josh Patelis as like a deep safety guy or if you want him to kind of in that kind of hybrid linebacker role. I would think they would continue to do that. But, you know, is Harrison Smith in the mix next year? I think that's still an open question. I, I would not – bet strongly on that but they need whether it's two corners in their nickel package or three they need corners to develop and they probably need to add which makes it difficult because if you're going to take a quarterback you need help in a lot of spots that are hard to acquire in free agency and they're hard to hit in the draft because that position I mean we've seen it a lot Bringing in a young corner and throwing him on an island is is a tough way to live. The we've we've talked about it in so many ways, but maybe not this just explicitly. What they need defensively is expensive. It is. It's not like they need 
inside linebacker, run stuffing defensive tackle. Like they need edge rushers, they need corners. Um, yeah, they don't. They don't even need safeties. Like even with a bust in Lewis scene, yeah. Metellus and Bynum make that palatable um, with Harrison Smith potentially leaving. Yeah, and so it's like, but and then those aren't the the positions that are even that expensive in free agency. Right. So it's like the the holes. Like Ivan Pace comes in, great story, great, but an off ball inside linebacker wouldn't have been that hard. Yeah, yeah. It's like what you needed was Patrick Jones to be whoa edge rusher came in and had ten sacks and was a revelation. What you needed was a Caleb Evans to be like, oh man, this guy can really be a thing. Yep, you didn't have that. Well, I mean, to put it another way. The most expensive and the premium positions in the NFL in some order are quarterback, edge rusher, left tackle, cornerback, wide receiver. Um, The the positions that have to do with throwing the ball or stopping teams from throwing the ball Mm -hmm. or protecting the people that throw the ball, whatever, uh, those are probably the five most expensive positions in football. The Vikings have either bills coming due or outright needs at all of them. Yeah. Whether it's paying Jefferson, paying Darisaw, making a decision on Cousins, making a decision on Hunter, and just freaking needing corners. Yeah. Uh, they have needs at all of the expensive spots. So, you know, Quasey's saying, I feel like we're in a good spot financially. We've cleared the cap enough. I, I was surprised to hear that. Maybe they feel like they can still make some things happen to the point where they'll be okay there. But, and I don't think they're going to necessarily be a team that goes out and, and just makes it rain in free agency and is throwing wads of cash at, at everybody and buying up the market that way. But I was I thought that was interesting that he said that because I think you look at the situation and it's just hard. I mean, like we're saying, it's hard to make it all work. It really is. Um, well, one thing we know is that the Vikings will not be making changes at coordinators if Brian Flores doesn't get hired as a head coach. No early word on any interviews yet, but – if he doesn't get hired as a head coach, the Vikings obviously want him back. They said they want Matt Daniels back by lauding the work that he did on special teams. And then obviously Wes Phillips will be back as OC. The only changes would be to Flores' staff. They got to hire a defensive line coach. Yep. A new edge rusher coach could also be coming in. So whoever is helping to pick with Flores what they do with this defensive line could be entirely different before the combine. Yep, yep. Chris Rumpf obviously is now at Clemson. And Mike Smith, we'll see if, if he comes back or not. But, yes, they have a lot of needs in the front seven, and both of those spots, and Mike Saravo, the inside linebackers coach, will be back. Yeah. But that's not where the big need is. And Durante They're, should be able to pursue. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Um, they, they like Durante Jones a lot. Um, I would think that he'll be back as well. So Kevin O'Connell didn't say that there won't be staff changes. He said, I'm still evaluating that part of it. But yeah. – I think the higher level spots, I mean, yeah, between Durante Jones and the coordinators, I would think it stays the same. Um, w- before we go, what what did you make of what Kevin had to say? And he's, he's, had, he's kind of been introspective over the last couple pressers about what he can do better. How much is coach speak in terms of I got to let everybody know who I'm about to criticize this offseason that, yes, I do want to look inward versus how much do you think is going to be tangible change this offseason on what he's going to do differently? Well, I certainly think he will spend a lot of time looking at things to change or or, you know, kind of adapt. I mean, one of the things I, I had that conversation with him before the season and one of the things he talked about, I think the first thing he brought up was 
communicating clearly to coordinators what he wants. Uh, and that was a reflection of Ed Donatel. That was, I didn't make it clear enough to this guy that I want us to be aggressive defensively. And I kind of hinted at it, but I, I just didn't do enough there. I, I think is, it's not hard to tell that that's what he meant by that comment. Um, so in that sense, I, I think you did see a change there. Obviously, hiring Brian Flores and saying, this is how I want it to look. And then Flores saying, okay, I've got this idea for this thing they do at Pitt where it's you know hot coverages, all these zones behind heavy pressures, and we're going to leave some things open, and it's going to be freaking aggressive and probably a little bit out on the edge. And O'Connell says, yeah, okay, let's do it. I do think that was a fairly substantive substantive change. So I think that does speak to the fact that he will do some of those things. When it comes to the way he wants to work on the offensive side of the ball, I am curious to see if any of that changes because that's much nearer and dearer to his heart, obviously, and that's kind of where his identity has been. And there's been a lot of discussion about what did they need to do to make it work with all of these quarterbacks when – Kirk Cousins goes down. They, I think, continued to run into this, I think, pretty deeply held belief that he has that our overall way of playing offense is the right way to do it. And, and you see a lot of times where, I mean, receivers are running open um, and quarterbacks sometimes miss. But his North Star, I think, is we have – Maybe the best receiver in the NFL, and he should get the ball an awful lot. And pl- it is hard to argue. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of talk about: Do you want to run the ball more? Obviously, running the ball, apart from the occasional gadget play, means that Justin Jefferson has no chance to get the ball. So, I wonder how much that affects the usage stuff. But um, yeah, he said, I, "I felt like we were a little better." moving the line of scrimmage that the offensive line did a better job run blocking numbers. So we're not great. I, I still don't think he's ever going to be a guy that does the Kyle Shanahan thing where they're running to that level of frequency. Well, and we have no evidence that he is that kind of mind. Like yeah. we, we have tons of evidence. He is an incredible pass game coordinator. Yep. Uh, we don't have any evidence that he, and frankly, I personally, maybe you've lo- heard differently. Yeah. But covering this team, my understanding is that the run game was handled primarily by Curtis Modkins, the, yep. the run game coordinator, yep. Chris Cooper, the O-line coach, yes. Justin Riscotti, the assistant O-line coach. Wes Phillips called that their run game pod that they would get together and kind of lead that group. And I'm sure O'Connell in the installs in the offseason had grand oversight about how you bring those things together with the run game schemes and, and the play actions and all that that they talk about. But what was clear to me is that Kevin wasn't super involved in those week-to-week game plannings of how we're going to attack the opponent with the run game. He talked about today, what do we hang our hat on? We we didn't really have an identity in the run game of like, and he didn't say this, but the, the subtext of it is they didn't have a good counter uh, power game. They weren't a good outside zone team. They right. weren't a good mid zone team. When things were going poorly and it's they had this grab bag of... It, it, things. it felt like they were just throwing things against the wall every yeah. week of like, well, let's try more um, pulling this week yeah. and try to do more trap blocking. Oh, no, no, let's go back to more outsides. Let's get Cam Akers in here and do more gap stuff. Like, It just felt like they were really grasping at straws that it did seem Kevin was introspective of like going into this offseason of, I don't know if he's going to research more or like just bring in somebody that 
knows more about the running game or can help more because um, he was pretty honest when he said today about it's not just the personnel, but it's also the scheme with the run game yep. of what what are we actually good at, and that's coaching. Well, and the interesting thing there too is you still have three of the five linemen who were drafted by Rick Spielman, and that was to and I, this wasn't exclusively what Christian Derrissaw was brought here to do, but certainly Garrett Bradbury and Brian O'Neill, that was a team that knew its identity in the run game. It was, we are a wide zone team. What Gary Kubiak has done forever. Kevin Stefanski loved it. They hung their hat on that and they were pretty dang good at it. Um, Especially around the goal line. I mean, I think that's, I mean, this team now cannot run for, you know, whether it's third and short or, second and goal from the one, they don't run it well in those situations. And so many times, I mean, you think back to 2019 especially, that toss play, the wide zone toss they'd run with Dalvin Cook, that was pretty dang near automatic or down the goal line. And being able to finish drives was an issue at times this year. So, yes, finding some of those places where they have their identity and they can kind of say, well, we're going to call this and we know it works and we can hang our hat on this. I do think that, I mean, when you play this many close games, yeah, that does make a difference. Yeah, and O'Connell also talked about how having a better plan for when the starter goes down. Yep. Of like, and I understand it, right? Like uh, the old Colts coach talked about, we don't practice getting screwed when the starter goes down with Peyton Manning. Like we don't, we can't practice getting screwed that way. But O'Connell did say like, I got to learn how we can better adjust if we don't have Kirk or somebody that I'm 100% comfortable in our system. Yeah, and I think that's with Josh Dobbs, probably the big takeaway is that they did kind of try to make him Kirk Cousins. I mean, it was pocket passing. And from my understanding, it was, you know, the, and you could see it in terms of the no huddle snaps. It was like 10 against the Falcons when he was in the game. And I think 14 against the Saints, those early times where O'Connell was in his ear and kind of talking him through things. And, and then it's kind of after that, that went away because it's okay. We're going to go back to running our normal stuff, which means we're going to send you to the line with two or three plays and you got to spit them all out in the huddle and get to the line with 10 or 12 seconds, make an adjustment, call things out. Hey, can, 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 and then snap the ball and be ready to go. Like that's a lot for, even if he's a rocket scientist, that's a lot to come in and try to learn in the middle of a season. And I do wonder, you know, you go into these press conferences with such a long list of things. And I'm curious, you know, when we talked about the combine, probably to ask more about this, but do you feel like you did enough with Josh Dobbs specifically, given the fact that he's very different than the other quarterbacks? I mean, he, he's, you didn't acquire him because he was an obvious system fit. You acquired him because you needed somebody and this guy can do some things. Could they have done more there to empower him or use him in a way that helps you beat the Broncos in a close game, helps you beat the Bears in a close game? Um, If you do that, you're probably not having this press conference today. You're preparing for a wild card game this weekend. It's it's tough for me to, to, as somebody who, you know, it's our job to report what's happening, be factual, objective, but, you know, we also have opinions and analyze these things and how much blame to put on a staff that 
was thrown into this in the middle of the season. Yeah, it's the, a terrible situation. The Kirk injury happens in the middle of the yep. season. How much can you truly shift to the offense, yes. to Dobbs? They did put the read option in. You see him run a little bit of that, but yep. then everybody else looked uncomfortable with it where Madison's not yep. used to the ball getting taken out of his hands. Like, you even I, saw that on Sunday with Mullins when they ran one of them. It's just like the mesh didn't work. Yeah, and, and so, but at the same time, we see time and time again West Coast coaches, whether it's Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Kevin O'Connell, get married to how a system works and call – you hear people say you should call plays, not players. You should call – you know, just, just do a slant with Justin Jefferson. Don't make it that hard. Well, oftentimes these coaches will be up there at the podium saying the exact opposite. Yeah. Wes Phillips is talking about how we design these things for a reason. It's to help the quarterback. It's to get to the premier look. It's to get these guys open. Scheme is what matters in this league. It is the separator uh, oftentimes when talent is so equal on both sides. I get that. Uh, but they definitely deserve some criticism for having what they had in Josh Dobbs and then not nurturing that confidence or that ability in any way. And I guess when you don't have him for an offseason or a training camp and you don't know him, right. <laughs> you just met him. Like, And so those are the things, those are the struggles. So, yeah, I, I have a struggle. Like, how much do you criticize that versus who would have gotten more out of that in reality? Well, and that's the, the trick. And I think the way I put it in the story on Sunday is they were put – in an untenable situation that they had no answers for. So they didn't solve it, but they were also, it's one of those where we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place in the sense that we build it for one thing and then we have to switch it in the middle of the season. How much do we switch it? I remember asking O'Connell, I think during one of those weeks with Dobbs, like how much are you going around and looking at things that he did in college and, and putting things in? He said, it's not really our philosophy to go grab plays from other places it's you know we design things that we want to fit our stuff and the thing he said is if you're just an obvious run looks it runs counter to our philosophy and you hear him talk about this all the time the marriage of the run in the past the illusion of complexity that if i am doing things that are such an obvious run look that i can't build a past concept off of that makes you think well it he might not be running here this is this might still be a pass and we have to kind of honor that I mean that is very central to what they want to do and that's McVay stuff that's I mean the illusion of complexity phrase is straight from McVay um so I I think some of it with Dobbs at least the way they were constructed ran counter to what they kind of believe about their offense or what they've you know like we say hang their hat on I mean we know what that is on a overall level, I think they need to figure out how they run the ball, but it did make it in that sense difficult. So yeah, it, and these things are how much is on the quarterback for missing throws or missing reads, how much is on the coaches for not helping him. I mean, there's probably some of both, but yeah, it, it does make it difficult to kind of come out of it with a perfect solution. Everybody says, well, Kevin Stefanski did it. Yeah, he did. Um, Joe Flacco. I mean, are you, is that automatic that that's going to work? I mean, I think that's a little bit convenient to go back and say that that way too. Also, I, I think Jim Schwartz is just as good of a coach as Brian Flores, yeah. and that defense is so much more talented. They're very like, stacked. So much more talented. Yep. And I think if the Vikings were playing in Cincinnati and you didn't allow the Caleb Evans touchdown to T. Higgins, that, Bears, that Browns defense does not allow that play. 
They are they are better than that. Yep. They have Greg Newsom. They have Denzel Ward at corner. They have talent at every freaking level. Miles Garrett. And yeah, and then the whole front. And uh, Dalvin Thompson. Two of the Vikings' Smith. top seven from last year. They have everybody. And yep. so I just think it's such a – whoever makes that comparison and, – and fans will do that. People will do that. It's disingenuous and not realizing how different the circumstances were for both. And that – and I, I think it's it's so incredibly second guess and first take ESPN television to be like, well, why didn't the Jets call Joe Flacco? Why didn't the Vikings call Joe Flacco? No one knew Joe Flacco yeah. was going to do this. Not yeah. even the freaking Browns. Yep. The Browns put him on the practice squad as the insurance of if if we get continued to get screwed over and over and over, Joe, you're our break glass in case of emergency for the fifth time. And it just happened to work out. Yep. And you know what? That's great. Sometimes Case Keenum takes you to the NFC yep. title game. Yep. Sometimes Joe Flacco takes you to the NFC or AFC title game. But I just think to blame the Vikings or even the Jets who were who are actually poorly run, um, I, I think it's absurd for that. And then, yeah, the Browns are going to make history or are making history because they've got one of the most talented rosters in football. Yeah. And, yeah, and a- you can lose a $230 million guarantee quarterback because of that. Yeah, I mean, and there are a lot of pieces there. They have a great offensive line. Yeah. They have talented receivers. They lost Nick Chubb, but it didn't matter because yeah. Jerome Ford is actually good. Yeah. Like, and the Vikings, can they can't even have a starting running back. Yeah. Like, they don't even have a good starter yeah. <laughs> to lose. Yeah, there's, there's a lot <laughs> there to help the quarterbacks come in that the Vikings just don't have yeah. in terms of talent around them. Um, and I think the I think Quasi in the front office for the Vikings would probably say that the Browns had a lot of decades of losing to build up yeah, that kind did. of talent. Yeah, a lot of top end picks. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll be it for our episode here. But please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. We will be here all off season to talk through the very interesting twists and turns the Vikings will have to make.